Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, February 15th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writers, Huay Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hi. Okay, guys, it is Friday. It's the end of the week. That is a uh, th- that is a celebration Right, like we we have made it another week, uh, and we we have a bunch of news to talk about. Let's talk about some news that hit after we recorded yesterday, and that is that Disney's Pirates of the Caribbean reboot has lost its screenwriters. Chris, what do we know? Uh, Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick, who wrote uh, the two Deadpool films, and they wrote Zombieland and the upcoming Zombieland Two. They're they're hot screenwriters. Hollywood loves working with them, and Disney was hoping they would come in and uh, reboot the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. Because, uh, as everyone knows, even though those movies have have all been hits, the the series has more or less run out of steam at this point, and. Uh, Johnny Depp asks for way too much money to be in them. So they want to start fresh. They want to have a Johnny Depp-less Pirates franchise, and they were hoping these two guys would get it done. And uh, apparently that's not going to happen. The story goes that uh, they're out. They're no longer involved. Um, Sources uh, differ on why. Uh, The the most common one I've read was just that they're they're just too busy. They have too much stuff to do to, to work on. Pirates of the Caribbean, whatever they're going to call it. So as of now, the film is without a writer. And weirdly enough, rather than just find new writers, uh, Disney seems to be considering just giving up entirely, which seems a bit odd to me because there are more writers in Hollywood besides these two guys. Like they're not the only game in town, but apparently Disney is already considering just pulling the plug entirely on this idea. Huh. That seems a little strange. I feel like, I feel like they're going to get someone else on board. Wasn't there some talk of getting Guy Ritchie or something? Well, he had to direct, but he he wouldn't, like, write the script, I don't imagine. Yeah, that would be a horrible choice anyways. I don't think anybody (laughs) wants to see a Guy Ritchie Pirates of the Caribbean movie. 
Uh, I think we've speculated in the past that this this franchise was going to take things in the uh, new direction with a female lead uh, in the ride. They have recently made um, a character, a female pirate named Red. And uh, I think that's probably, if I was going to guess what Rhett Reese and Paul Ornick were, were kind of chasing and what they were trying to uh, figure out in this story, I, I think it was probably her story. Uh, and I feel like there's there's a take here. They just got to find the right people for it. So uh, I'm I'm guessing this is the, not the last that we'll we'll hear of the Pirates of the Caribbean reboot. Uh, but we'll have to see. Uh, let's move on to another story. This is uh, a remake of one of HT's favorite movies from was it two years ago at this point? Yeah. 2017. 2017. This is your name, which is set up at Bad Robot, and they have now found a director to helm this. In HD, you're a little worried. I am. I am kind of. That's my whole sort of approach to this entire project because I like all the names and the people attached to this, but I just can't bring myself completely on board an anime remake. And uh, we'll we'll see. But um. So the news is that Paramount and Bad Robot have uh, webbed in Mark Webb to helm the <laughs> English language remake of Your Name. And this is going to be the film that's uh, penned by a rival screenwriter, Eric he- Heiserer. And uh, this, in the Deadline report that um, broke this news, there's also a, a synopsis for the film or like a... Uh, con- a concept for it. And um, in this reimagined version, it will follow a young Native American woman living in rural a rural area and a young man from Chicago who discover they are magically swapping bodies. And when disaster threatens to upend their lives, they must journey to meet and save their worlds. So um, this kind of tracks with what Eric Heiser had said before about this version being more Americanized. Uh, Native American version is probably the most American you can get. Um, and it actually kind of fits in parallel with the the way that the Shinto religion was used in the original version. But I, again, am cautiously optimistic about this um, because a Native American culture has never been depicted quite that well in Hollywood. And Mark Webb has had sort of a shaky track record. 500 Days of Summer was great. Um, but he is also behind the two amazing Spider-Man movies, which were kind of a debacle. And, yeah, um, but he... I, I would argue, and we don't, you know, it's very hard to point fingers and stuff with mm-hmm. with. with films because they're such a collaborative medium but i would argue that i think the studio has a lot to do with that debacle like Mm -hmm. i don't know if you watch those movies i feel like the scenes between andrew Andrew garfield and emma stone emma stone right yeah uh that those scenes when they're actually playing peter parker and gwen that those scenes actually work and it's the rest of the movies that really do Yeah, but work. I think – I also argue that works because of the charisma of those actors. I mean they were dating at the time. So I feel like that yeah. has a lot to do with why those scenes work, not yeah. not Mark Webb. Yeah, yeah, but you think you think the debacle of uh, – who was the bad guy in Amazing Spider-Man 2? It was Jamie Shocker, Fox's. whatever Shocker. his name was. No. Jamie Fox. Electro? Electro. Yeah, I always get those confused, yeah. I don't know. It, it, that seems to me like a Avi Arad – studio mess i mean i'm not saying that i mean obviously some people are able to work with that like you know sam mm-hmm. ramey was able to make two good movies uh in that mess and one bad one uh but i don't know i i just don't i think it's unfair to like completely blame mark webb for that but that said 
His last movie, uh, what Gifted. is it? Gifted. What? Gifted. That Gifted. was his last. Yes. Oh, I thought it was like the only living boy in New York or something. Yeah, I think he he was behind that one too. I, I don't think he directed that one. They didn't. Well, both of those were not well received. So, so I mean, I don't know. He was the producer of one of your favorite TV shows, though. HJ. He is actually. I want to amend. He did direct the only living boy in New York. He okay. yeah, which also did not get much um, praise. But he yeah, I does, think it's like thirty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, but he does executive produce uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which is a really smart um, send-up of, of rom-coms. But um, because of his kind of uh, shaky track record, I'm not really sure what his directorial style is in particular. I feel like it's something leaning a little more zany than um, the kind of haunting ephemeralness of the original anime film. So I wonder if he will be able to hit to like nail this premise and also sensitively handle the Native American culture that will feature prominently in this film. Um I'm just yeah, I'm just very wary, guys. Yeah, I don't really know. I, I know that it has the um the blessings and actually uh the original film's producer, Genki Kawamura, is working on this film and they are encouraging this English language remake to make it as American as possible and not do something that's just like a straight up remake of the original. But um, I don't know. I'm, I just, I love this film so much. And like whenever you have a, such a love for the original, it's hard to uh, get excited for a remake. But we also have the screenwriter of Arrival involved. Yeah. Like that, that gives us a little bit of hope, even though that guy did write that thing reboot and the Nightmare on Elm Street movie that we from 2010 that we don't like to not think about. But um, Chris, what are your thoughts on this? Like, do you have hope? I mean, I've I've yet to see the original, so I'm not as uh, I don't feel like one way or another about it. But I do wish that like like there's got to be you know if they really want to have, have this be a story about a Native American character, like there's got to be a Native American director out there itching for the chance to make something like this, to make a big, you know, high profile feature like this, why not go find them instead of Mark Webb, you know, no offense to Mark Webb, but yeah, I'm a little concerned that so far there aren't a lot of people of color or native American, uh, people behind on this crew yet, but maybe they'll get some consultants and yeah, Mark Webb, I feel like maybe not quite suited towards, portraying this particular culture so you you do make a good point here every year at sundance when you go to sundance there's tons of native american directors that are getting you know that have films in that competition and uh and it's also weird because jj abrams has been kind of this person that has been pushing for diversity on screen and behind the camera uh it is strange to have mark webb you know white guy uh take the helm of this story but uh i don't know we'll have to see we'll have to see how it turns out uh let's move on to an, an announcement that disney made today this is this is by the way i guess the last day of filming on star wars episode nine at least uh, according to some some images that have been posted by the crew of the production and the chances are that they there's a 50 percent chance that they could be announcing the title 
of that movie today because they announced it at the end of production for Force Awakens and the end of production of Solo's Star Wars story. And if that happens, we will have to record an emergency episode later today. I mean, there's, so. there's a 50% chance every day that they're going to announce the title for Star Wars. <laughs> but I'm just saying, 50% of the time of Disney Star Wars movies, they have announced it on the last day of principal photography. So there's a there's a bigger than average chance today. Um, but Disney did make a big Star Wars announcement today already, which makes me think that it might not happen. And that is that they're going to have a triple Force Friday. Brad, what is going on here? Yes, Triple Force Friday is coming later this year. Uh, As we have seen with the release of The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, uh, every time a new Star Wars movie comes out, uh, a month or two before the movie comes out, there's a huge day when the first merchandise related to that movie hits shelves. The first action figures, lunchboxes, towels, clothes, housewares, everything that you can throw the Star Wars brand name and characters on, uh, the first wave comes out on what is called Force Friday. So this will be the third time that they've done this. It's happening on October 4th. Um, But this one is a little bit bigger because not only will they be releasing merchandise related to Star Wars Episode Nine, they will also be releasing the first round of products tied to Disney's first live-action Star Wars series, The Mandalorian, which is coming to Disney Plus sometime this year, and also a new video game from EA and Respawn called Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. So uh, that's the reason it's called Triple Force Friday. And uh, I'm also hoping that there's going to be some kind of fast food tie-in for some kind of cheeseburger or maybe like an appetizer platter at TGI Fridays to really bring this full circle because <laughs> that's, ju- that's just what we need for Star Wars, I think. Yeah. Uh, I they, they have done this for every Star Wars film released by Disney thus far. And I know for... Uh, it was huge when they did it for Force Awakens because that was like the you know first time you could get like BB-8 merch and all these you know merch for like all these new characters. But Last Jedi, it was not as popular in Solo Star Wars Story. Like you know the, those toys are still on the shelves for whatever. Oh my god, I it's a habit I have because I'm a Star Wars collector. Uh, only of pretty much of the Black Series figures now. I always check the toy aisle whenever I'm at the store, and there are, are still Rogue One figures on shelves. J- uh, Jin Erso, Cassian Andor, you can you still f- see that see them there. It's it's really depressing. And then the solo characters I've seen discounted down to like ten bucks as well. Yeah, yeah, it's a problem. Um, it is. But it so, is. so I'm guessing they're they're thinking if they can tie this with Frozen. And the uh, you know the Star Wars TV show that you know they'll get that well, big. The, so the Frozen thing is something that's separate, even though it's happening on the same day. There, Disney also announced Frozen Fan Fest, which will also be happening on October fourth, and that's when they'll be releasing the first wave of merchandise related to Frozen Two. Um, however, it seems yeah, like... but if you, if you're a family and you have a brother and sister in the family, you're going there and you're going to both of those aisles. But at the same time. I'm I'm not entirely sure if all retailers that are doing Force Friday will also have the Frozen stuff out at the same time because the press release specifically mentions that Force Friday for Star Wars stuff will start at midnight on October 4th, but Frozen Fan Fest only just says October 4th. So I feel like a lot of that stuff maybe won't be available until the morning of October 4th. And on top of that, I, I go to Force Friday every time it happens. I've gone at least every time it has, and you don't see any kids there it's all adult collectors who are getting stuff because no parents want to take their kids to a store 
on a school night to spend money on a bunch of toys. <laughs> <laughs> well, usually, doesn't it usually happen on a Friday night? No, no, it happens Thursday. Oh, because it's Thursday it's, night. It's midnight Friday. Yeah. The only one I went to, I think, was the original Force Friday, and they were illfully unprepared with merchandise. Like, everything sold out like within the first, like, few people in line. Like, like any of, like, the, like, things that people wanted, like BB-8s and, like, you know, the Black Series figures and stuff like that. Uh, as our former colleague, or our colleague, our former writer, Jermaine Lucier, once wrote, the Funko Pops were decimated. Beep, 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 beep. Breaking news. I'm just going to cut in here. I'm getting reports that Star Wars Episode Nine has indeed wrapped. Uh, and by reports, I mean J.J. Abrams posted it on Twitter. So there you have it. It's official. They're done until they have to do reshoots. Yeah. There, there is our first photo, our f- first official photo from set showing the three leads, uh, Oscar Isaac, uh, John Boyega, and Daisy Ridley hugging. Uh, is, 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 are they crying? Oscar Isaac looks like he's crying to me. He looks very upset. Yeah. They also look like they're in a a set that is kind of like on a sand planet of some kind. Are they, are they returning to Jakku or maybe they're at uh, they're at Cabo for spring break, I believe. Uh, well, Actually, this this looks like fire festival to me. Oh, okay, yes. <laughs> and, We're going to get those cheese sandwiches and call it a day. And, and also, the, I, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, put every, anyone's speculation into overdrive, but if you look in the far <laughs> left side of the picture, it looks like constable Zuvio might be back there. The famed <laughs> character who got his own action figure, but didn't even appear in the force awakens. By the way, he does appear in the force awakens. I think there's like two or three frames People have posted this online <laughs> where you can see him in the background. Uh, I don't know. I see, I see what looks like a, a thing, something that could be shaped like his head back there on the left, but I'm, I'm not sure. I'm just, just throwing it out there. So our theory is that they're hugging because they survived Firefest. And they, yes. found, and they found Constable Zuvio. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you can check out that photo. Uh, by the time you hear this, it'll be on SlashFilm.com, uh, so check it out there. But, okay, Chris, let's get back to this. Urban Outfitters is selling VHS tapes in a mystery box bundle, and people are kind of uh, making fun of this online. What do we know? Yes, to hell with Star Wars. This is the important news. Um, So (laughs) Urban Outfitters, uh, they posted on their website the other day. They have this, you know, it's literally a mystery box with a set of five VHS tapes. It's uh, assorted 90s comedies, and the... The example image they show features uh, a night at the Roxbury and the Waterboy and Office Space and I think European Vacation and Heather's. And, you know, I'm not going to comment on the quality of those films themselves, but uh, the amusing thing is they're selling these uh, these five tapes in a bundle for 40 bucks when really you can go into any thrift store or used music store and buy like these same things for like 25 cents a pop. So it seems to be, you know, urban outfitters, they're known for jacking up the prices on things. They, they sell t-shirts for like $70 and it's, you know, not exactly high quality stuff. And, you know, this is literally just cashing in on nostalgia. There are people out there who still hold VHS in high regard, even though it's at this point, the worst format to watch anything, but people, you know, people hold on to it. And I get that. I grew up in, in the VHS age, but this seems to be pushing it just a little bit too far. 
I don't even think there's a VHS uh, maker that like makes like the players anymore. I think like the last one stopped making the players, so you have to buy vintage players as well. Uh, yeah. But I mean, what, I I don't really know the history of records and the big boom around like the you know the hipster era of like you know vinyl, but I assume the same thing must have happened, right? Like the prices had gotten really cheap and then all of a sudden like it kind of blew up again. Yeah. But you know, you can still buy records very cheap, like used records. The new things like new pressings are a bit pricey, but they're also new. They're being, you know, newly pressed. Whereas I'm not going to say they're, you know, they're not being jacked up in price because they are, but they are in theory new. Whereas these are 100% used VHS tapes that have just been like sitting around in someone's garage. And now, Urban Outfitters is selling them for 40 bucks. And, and the funny thing here is they're not like there's not even the chance that you could get a rare VHS tape, right? Like no. usually with these blind box things, like you get these blind box toys, there's like a chaser, which, you know, comes in like one in a hundred of those boxes that you buy uh, with these VHS tapes. You're just getting crappy used VHS tapes of comedies that are worth nothing and you could buy elsewhere for much cheaper and actually know what you're getting. So what is the advantage here, Chris? <laughs> there is no advantage. There's, there is zero advantage here. Um, uh, I'm sure someone might think otherwise, people who collect VHS tapes still, which, you know, there are people out there who, who do collect VHS. And, you know, there actually are, there's a, like uh, probably thousands of films that have never been transferred from VHS to, you know, DVD or Blu-ray or even streaming there, you know, they're films that are, I'm not going to call them lost, but they're, they're still only on VHS, but that's not what you're getting here. You're getting, you know, the water boy. So <laughs> if, if you want to yeah. buy these for like a joke, then maybe, I don't know. But beyond that, I don't really know what the appeal of this is. You, you know, I mean, I'm not surprised that this is something that's being sold at Urban Outfitters because they, last time I was there, I found like mixed CDs that have, you know, the the songs written in Sharpie, like you you would have mixed CDs, but they're selling them for like 15 bucks. And uh, they're... Uh. It's their whole thing now, just monetizing that nostalgia in the in the most ridiculous way. Now, half the people on this podcast have a love for physical media and are still collecting. You have huge shelves with many DVDs and Blu-rays. Uh, Brad, do you have any love for VHS? No, not at all. It's uh, it's a dead technology. The the quality on VHS is terrible. If there's one thing that I miss, and if there was a way to collect it, I think it would be cool. I do miss the kind of art that used to be on VHSs because more often than not, VHS boxes would have cool like hollow foil kind of designs or like uh, designs that were like raised against your fingers if you were to rub your fingers like across the lettering of the title or something like that. Yeah, I think and they, they call it really... embossed. I think. Yeah, embossed. That's it. And they don't really do that with uh, a lot of Blu-ray covers anymore because the the artwork is inside of that plastic jacket that's around Blu-ray and DVD covers, and sometimes. There's cool art on those, but more often than not, it's, you know, it's kind of just whatever. And so if there's one thing I miss about that uh, VHS, it's cool VHS box art designs. But otherwise, yeah, collecting the tapes, it's just, it's no point. I, for one, miss having to have two VHSs for extra long movies like Titanic, in which you had to stop in the middle and then, like, take it out and put the other one in. Oh, yeah. Those were the worst. (laughs) I think I do own some VHSs, though. I own... 
the box sets for the Back to the Future trilogy and the original Star Wars trilogy. Do you, do any of you still own some VHS or is that all out with the trash? I think I I think I still have some like in my basement, but I don't like I don't even know what I have. I do think I have some down there, but I have no idea what they even are. So it's not like something I I cherish exactly. I think mine are. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Mine are still at my parents' house. I know that we have a bunch of Disney clamshells. And I think that my VHS... by the way, those can still be worth a lot of money. Like some of those, well, it's that's kind of misleading actually, because the, even though some have sold for high amounts on eBay, more often they're not than not they don't. And if you look, it's a, there's a very inconsistent price market out there on eBay as for what people are willing to pay for Disney clamshells. Oh yeah, I just know that like when I go to Amoeba Records, which sells a lot of DVDs and Blu-rays and VHS. Like the the section of VHS that the only ones that are worth anything are the Disney clamshells. Those are the only ones that cost more than the you know the rest usually. Uh, HD, you were going to say something? Oh yeah, I still have my entire Disney collection um, at my parents' house in VHS, but um, I don't know if I will go replacing all of them because they some of them haven't even come out of the archive or the vaults yet. Yeah, the, the Disney, Disney vaults. Vault. Um, Interesting, but none of us are heading to Urban Outfitters to spend forty dollars on a mystery box of comedy. Chris news. might. Though I checked, they don't have them at the one year. Maybe I'll have to order it and have it shipped to me if I want to do this. <laughs> we we uh, joked so, about doing an unboxing video with Chris. Yeah, let me throw it out there right here on the show, listeners. Do you want me to get the the mystery box and then film an unboxing video right into what is it, Peter at slashhome.com? Yeah. Let him know, and he'll let me know. And if we get enough people saying, yes, Chris, waste your money on this, I put will do poll, it. Put out a poll on Twitter and see what people think. Yeah, maybe I should do that. Yeah. Either way, let us know. It's uh, I could just imagine like the opening is like, hey, it's me, Chris. <sighs> For, yeah, here for another <laughs> unboxing. Just a, just a heavy sigh every time. <laughs> it should, wait, so wait, should the unboxing video be from your perspective or should it show you? Because we want to see, as as uh, HT put it in our Slack channel, want to see the the size. Uh, I, I think it should be me. It should show me yeah. frowning <laughs> as I as I <laughs> dig through this box. Okay. Uh, yeah. Write me in if you actually want to see this. Peter at slashhome.com. Uh, we'll take the money out of the slash home budget, and put it towards one of these things. Okay. Let's move on to Will Smith, who at one point turned down the Matrix. Uh, HG, why? Well, it's a piece of well known trivia that Will Smith turned down the Matrix. Uh, he originally was approached to play the role of Neo, which went to Keanu Reeves. And instead, he went on to do the biggest bomb of his early career, Wild Wild West, um, in a YouTube series called Storytime that Will Smith posts every now and then. Uh, he explained why he turned down the Matrix. And it basically, uh, boils down to a really bad pitch meeting. The Wachowskis apparently had approached him, and this was when Will Smith was at the top of his game, following Bad Boys, Independence Day, Men in Black. And um, the Wachowskis at this point had only had one movie under their belt. And they came in with what Will Smith describes as a really bad pitch. Um, he 
he kind of reenacts it. He puts on like a baseball cap and talks about how the Wachowskis talked about um, their idea for uh, doing the jumping scene, which is like iconic at this point um, in which uh, Keanu Reeves, Neo uh, freezes mid jump and you see the entire thing 360. And they were describing this like frame for frame. And Will Smith just says, was thinking these people are crazy. So he <laughs> went on to do Wild Wild West. And um, while he has some regrets, he thinks that it was right that Keanu Reeves took, took on the role of Neo because if Will Smith had taken on the role, it, Lauren Fish, Lawrence Fishburne would not have been um, in uh, the, would not have been cast in The Matrix. They were considering Val Kilmer for his role. Interesting. Uh, but instead, Will Smith decided to do Wild Wild West instead of The Matrix? <laughs> Yep. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I would recommend everybody head on over to SlashFilm.com because you can actually watch Will Smith tell the story, which I think is actually a lot more entertaining than uh, hearing I'm the sorry, I'm not a good storyteller. No, 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 it's not you. It's just like it's Will Smith telling a story. Yes. <laughs> also, I think, I think in the video he's uh, in the form of the genie, so it makes it even better, right? <laughs> Yeah, he's all blue. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's move on to our final story. And this is that Netflix has greenlit a Transformers trilogy of uh, an animated television series. Brad, what's going on? Netflix is working on an animated series called Transformers War for Cybertron. Uh, so, yeah, it's a new animated series. It's coming to Netflix in 2020. Uh, they're working with, with Rooster Teeth on it. Uh, but this will be a series unlike... Uh, any Transformers animated series before it because they're using a new animation style. Um, and more likely than not, it will be something akin to that of the Godzilla anime projects that Netflix has released recently because Polygon Pictures is the animation studio that is behind it. And they're the ones who worked on that Godzilla uh, project as well. So um, if, if the animation is in that style, this could be pretty cool. It's, it's, uh, kind of a, a 3D style anime aesthetic, which uh, as somebody who doesn't necessarily like the animation style of anime, uh, seeing it in 3D form d is kind of cool. Um, and specifically when you're talking about Transformers, I think that that style applied to it has has some potential there. Um, and if, if it's anything like the opening sequence from Bumblebee that we got to see with Generation 1 uh, Transformer designs, then that could be something pretty cool as well. Very cool. Uh, I, I am liking how Netflix is producing these animated, these serialized animated uh, stories, these series that are being planned far in advance. Like they're planning this whole arc out as if it's, you know, a movie arc um, and not just taking it, you know, uh, bit by, you know, episode by episode. Um, it's uh, I've heard a lot of great things about the look of that Godzilla series, that anime kind of uh, influenced series. But H.E., I think you did not like it? I was not a fan. Um, I am kind of a stickler for hand-drawn animation as it is, but the 3D uh, kind of rendering of trying to imitate anime style was a little bit wonky to me. I can't really describe why I didn't like it. It just felt very uh, like shaky. I feel like the like for the Godzilla films, especially they're kind of experimenting with it. And there are some areas where it felt like the characters were more flat or kind of dead eyed. And while the bigger visual effects were impressive, the character work um, had left something to be desired. So um, yeah, I don't I'm just I'm not a big fan of just like 3D 
animation in general. I just think it looks kind of a little bit, even though it's more, it's there's more work put to it. It sometimes feels a little bit hastily put together. Yeah, and a lot, um, a lot of the Transformers, uh, the the movies and the animated series don't don't really show this war in Cybertron. So I think. As far as I know, this is the first time that they're basing a series based on, you know, these these first, you know, this beginning, this origin story. Brad, do you know if that's correct? Um, I actually don't because there are a lot of Transformers animated series <laughs> that are out there. Uh, but since they did make a point to uh, drive attention to the fact that it will go into the origins of the war between Autobots and Decepticons, I think that that's probably accurate. Yeah. I, I had heard that this is like band of brothers with transformers so if that sounds exciting to you uh get excited for transformers war for cybertron uh, coming to netflix but that brings us to the end of today's slash home daily you can find more of all the stories we mentioned today on slash home.com and linked in the show notes this podcast is published every weekday on itunes google podcasts overcast spotify all the popular podcast apps uh send it to your feedback question comments concerns to us at peter tell us if you really want to see that unboxing video with chris and uh please head on over to our itunes page write us a five-star review tell your friends spread the word and we will see you on monday the good news here is with this tweet we're probably not getting a star wars title today which means we do not have to reconvene and do an emergency episode of the podcast We'll see. Maybe the title <laughs> is It Feels Impossible Today We Wrap Photography in Episode 9. Yeah. Oh, no. The, the other thing I was saying in the Slack channel here is I don't think we've seen these three characters on screen together in any of the, the two films released thus far. Is is that the case? or I, I really they, don't think so. Yeah. They Well, they Ray and Poe met for the first time. In la- at the end of Last Jedi, but I don't think all three were together, were they? Which was also like a weird scene to have too, like because like I feel like the audience no, didn't remember that it they. Is not the first, it's the first time that they've all embraced together like this, but all three of them are in that wide shot on the Falcon. Uh, oh, we, the... we do see them together. They're not together, but all three of them are in the shot. Okay, well, interesting.